Welcome to the Unwritten Life Podcast, where we share that your deepest pain can lead to your biggest gain, and that your story is still unwritten. Now introducing your host, Tim Sawhook. Welcome to the show today, everybody. I'm very excited to have you here for another episode of the Unwritten Life Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tim Sawhook. And I'm so excited to have you here with me today. We have another great episode in store for you today, one that's going to leave you with hope and encouragement, as always. But before we get into that, just a little housekeeping. I am still looking to give away a gift card for a new review on the podcast. It's as simple as going to iTunes and leaving a rating and a written review. Just send me a screenshot to Tim at UnwrittenLifePodcast.com. I have this gift card just waiting to give away. And what it really does, like I said, it's not for me. So I say, oh, my gosh, people say these great things about my podcast. What it does is it gets the message out in front of more people. And that's what I'm all about. That's what we're all about here at the Unwritten Life Podcast is spread that message of hope. So I'm just asking for your help. And in return, you have a chance of winning a gift card just like that. So, again, if you feel it in your heart, please leave a rating and a review. And, again, it's going to help more people to see it and get that message of hope out. Well, we have another great episode for you today. It's one that I'm positive is going to leave you with hope and encouragement, and I'm not going to make you guys wait for it any longer. Here is my conversation with Dave Babb. Well, I'd like to welcome to the show today, Dave Babb. Dave, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, Tim. How are you? Good, good. Dave's been a longtime friend of mine. I've known him for a long time. Matter of fact, he's the one who introduced my wife and I at the wedding coming into our wedding reception. Do you remember that, Dave? I do. I was talking to my wife about it the other night. So, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah we, we have a long connection. Uh, he's part of the big day. But Dave's here for a different reason today. He's got a story that I know is going to offer hope and encouragement to people. And before we get into the meat of the story, you know, I know your story kind of starts early on when you were a little bit younger, but if you want to give us a little bit of groundwork before uh, things kind of started to evolve for you, could you do that for us? Yeah. Um, so growing up, like a lot of people in this country, unfortunately, way too many people in this country, I was not in the best situation as a kid. Uh, my dad was a heavy alcoholic. Um, my mother was not really around. She didn't really do the things you think a mother would do. Uh, there's a lot of abuse and neglect that took place in my in my household growing up um, that continued for years and years and years until my mom finally left my dad. Um, even after that fact, though, like I was talking to you the other night, she just wasn't someone who I think was equipped to be a mother. You know, I was born when she was 17. She was still in high school. So I wasn't a planned, you know, I, I was an accident to high school kids messing around. Right. And I just came along and neither one of them really were prepared for it. So what age were you when you were saying you were um, at the hands of abuse and things going on? You briefly touched on it before, um, you know, we recorded a couple of days ago. What was that like growing up and how old were you? I mean, I can remember it as far back as first grade. So we're talking six years old. Oh, I can wow. remember I can remember things happening. Uh, my dad worked for a company. Um, in the area and he brought home this, I remember he had this big slab of rubber. It was just scrap rubber from his job. Mm -hmm. It was probably three feet long and maybe an inch thick. And it was like some heavy duty rubber. And he would hit us with that, um, use his belt. I caught a buckle a few times, uh, across the face and across the back. 
he would punch my mom. My brother and sister would catch it too. Uh, so, I mean, it's, you know, I'm 40 now. So, I mean, I, ha- I can remember this for 34 right. years ago. So how did that impact you being a six-year-old? You get, that's because that's a really early memory to be imprinted on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and how many other siblings did you have at that time? What was that like for you guys as just a family unit, as the kids? I had a brother and sister. Um, they're both three, four years younger than me. So at that time, they're three and two. Mm-hmm. And they still, even at that age, were being spanked, but it was excessive. Um, right. It was like, okay, you get your point across and you stop, but this would just continue. And then I'm a little bit bigger. So I took a little bit more. Um, and then there were times when, uh, they were doing something and my, I could see my dad was about to do, you know, to start hitting them and I would go break something or I would go dump something out. I would do whatever I could to get in trouble. Mm -hmm. And then that would shift his focus on me. Okay. And I took a lot of that, um, growing up kind of as the big brother, I kind of felt that was my job. Well, like I said at the beginning of the show, I usually ask people, you know, what was it like before your story of the podcast started? So early, you really, your story was your whole life pretty much growing up. Yeah, yeah. That was your normal. You know, you Mm -hmm. had that really going against you, like you said, when you were six years old. um, And you were the oldest of the three at that point. And um how tough that was to deal with as a six-year-old. Now you're 40. You remember that, you know, very vividly and you're kind of reliving that for us today. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was it like then? You know, you were, you were at the hands of abuse. Your father was an alcoholic. Your mom, you said, wasn't really equipped to be a parent, being a mom. What was that like as you were getting older and growing up in that home? Eventually, um, it got to the point where my mom left. And I think it was more with the help of her parents, my grandparents. And I remember we moved in with them. And then there was just like no contact with my dad for quite a while after that. Like he just didn't want us to be around. He didn't want to be around. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't doing anything to really support us. And it was just kind of us living with my grandparents, uh, my mom, my brother, and my sister, and myself. And, you know, my mom, she worked. Um, she did what she could as a single mother. But most of the caregiving that I got most of the love that I got seemed to come from my grandparents and my great grandparents. Mm -hmm. So how long were you without contact with your father? Uh, probably four years, I would say from the time she left because I don't, I don't have a memory of him in my life really until I was about 12. Okay. Um, yeah, about 12, I remember he kind of came back in. He had stopped drinking um, mostly. I mean, he still drank every now and then, but for the most part, he was sober. And he started to try to make an effort. And then as time went from there, then he start, started drinking less and less, and he got totally sober. And that's when mm-hmm. things really kind of changed in our relationship. So about 12 years old, he started to come back into your life. Things started yeah. to evolve a little bit. Now, yeah. you said, you know, and I think it's very important that, you know, dads are important into our lives as kids. Mm-hmm. You, know? you know, a lot of times, and moms are too, and I don't want to take that away from people who are single moms are really superheroes and um, single dads as well. But dads, you know, too, my dad for me, you know, he was the protector. He was the friend, you know. He had all the advice, the dad jokes, all those things that you – want as a kid and you really need your dad for that so 
to have them missing in your life for that little bit of time and um, I guess more than a little bit of time, um, about four years or so, and then have him come back must have been a good feeling for you? Yeah, it was it was good, but it was also scary mm -hmm. because it was like as soon as he started coming back, I started remembering the things that happened before, and I was just worried that, you know, how much has actually changed. It was good in the sense because, like you were saying, now I have that father figure in my life, and I have that male presence, and right. a dad is very different from a grandpa. Mm -hmm. And even though I was living at my grandparents' house with my mom, um, having my grandpa, you know, wasn't quite the same because he had already raised his daughter. He had already mm -hmm. done the thing. And then on my dad's side, my mom, my his mom, um, and her husband, my grandma and grandpa on that side, I spent a lot of time with them as well. And they'd done amazing things for me through my life, but still it's grandparents and that's slightly different. Right. So what was it like? How did your mom react to your dad now being back in your life and coming around? She really tried to poison the idea of him being back around. Mm -hmm. Um, she, and then her parents uh, were both, or all three, I should say, kind of trying to tell us things, make us remember things, and like, are you sure you want this? Remember what he used to do, and he hasn't been around for this. And it was very much trying to use the kids to get back at somebody. Okay, and yeah, it was it was not needed. Mm -hmm. So that so was that confusing for you being at that young age? You know, because like you said, you had bad images and bad memories from your father you know, mm -hmm. the abuse and things that happen. Then he was gone. Then he comes back. So you're kind of happy again to have the dad. And mm -hmm. Then you have your mom saying, you know, you remember this, you remember this and all the bad things. Right. Uh, how did that play on your mind being a young boy? It was very confusing because like I said earlier, there was just, I didn't have that feeling of love and security. You know, grandparents are always going to love their kids, aunts and uncles, whatever. Right. But, I didn't have that feeling that my parents actually loved me mm -hmm. because I was living with my mom and I saw that she really kind of continued to put herself first before right. she would put her kids. And then thinking of everything that happened with my dad, I was like, well, he showed that he didn't and is like, who, where do I go? Who do I turn to? I, I feel like I'm kind of raising myself and that's not something you should feel at really any age, much less that age. Right, absolutely. So now that your dad, you know, your mom's telling you no, the grandparents are telling you maybe no, you're kind of confused, but your dad is back now in your life, mm -hmm. good, bad, or ugly. How did mm -hmm. that start to evolve for you with that relationship? He would see us every other Sunday for a few hours, and we would go to his house and just kind of hang out, and we would have a meal and play games and things like that. And like I said, there were times I would still see him cracking open a beer, and then my mind would start clicking, this is the first of how many. Right. And what's going to happen. Um, but thing, as things progressed, they got a lot better, um, so much so that it got to the point I said, I don't want to live with my mom anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, She had married a guy that I completely did not want her to marry. My brother and my sister at the time were telling her not to marry him because they didn't like him, and she did it anyway. And I was like, I don't want to live here, and I ended up moving in with my dad. And at that point, he had gotten completely sober. Like, there wasn't even O'Doul's in the house. Like, 
Oh, anything wow. that anything that could be construed as alcohol or anything mm-hmm. just was not around. Um, but he kind of did the same thing my mom did and married someone that my my sister and I, at least my brother loved her, but my sister and I didn't really approve of. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I was talking to you on the phone the other night, I kind of boomeranged back and forth because I would live with my dad and then get fed up with my stepmom and move back in with my mom until I got fed up with my stepdad and then moved back in with my dad. So, so when your dad started, I want to go back just a couple, little bit in the story, just teeny okay. bit. When your yeah. dad started to get completely sober and mm-hmm. felt like his life was getting together, did he ever talk to you about like, did he ever apologize for the early years? Did he ever bring those up? Did he have regret from what had happened? The words, I'm sorry, never came out of his mouth. Like we never had that actual conversation but through his actions and through just the way he changed as a person, you could tell that he lived with that regret. Okay. Um, and it showed, even though he didn't actually say the words or try to, you know, consciously show it himself. Right. So did you feel at that point you could say, I kind of forgive you for this? Yeah. Or- I mean, it got to the point where I totally forgave him. I mean, I'll never forget it. I still think about it now. Right. Uh, from time to time. And, you know, that's part of what happens with my depression and my anxiety. I just start thinking of all the bad things that have happened, Mm -hmm. but, um, I completely forgave him for, for it because I had got to an age when I realized that it, that wasn't him. That was, you know, the alcohol that was doing that to him. Uh, because I talked to some of his friends from high school who were around and they said, Oh, your dad, when we were in school, he was this and he would do this. I would talk to my aunts and my uncles and they say, we used to do this. And I started getting a picture of them that way. Mm-hmm. And I started to try to connect that image to him instead of the negatives. Okay. Now, I think that's very important that you did take that time to see those clues that it was the alcohol that was controlling those behaviors. Does it make it right? Does it make it mm-hmm. okay? Does it make it the pain any less today than it was then? Um, right. But I think it was good for you to be able to give that forgiveness to kind of let go of some of that because, you know, when we carry those things around with us, it's like we have all this pain and uh, heartache living rent free in our minds. You know, it's just staying there over and over and over again. And exactly. it's one thing to say, you know, I'm never going to forgive anybody because they did this to us. It, yeah, you could do that and you may be justified because the thing's been so bad, but really, they may have moved on, and you're just carrying all that luggage with you, all that baggage from place to place. And uh, I think it's very important here in the story to say that, you know, even though I was hurt, I was abused, I was able to say, I forgive you and kind of right. let go of some of that. So I appreciate you sharing that part. Yeah. So you were talking about, you know, both of your parents now had married people that nobody liked as far as the kids. Uh, right. That were bad choices for both of them. And you said you, the words you used were boomeranging back and forth. So now you're moving back with your mom, then with your dad, and dad, mom, and so forth and so on. What was that doing to you? I just, I never felt comfortable. I always felt like I was just kind of spending the night more than living. Mm-hmm. And um, I knew my Great-grandparents, my great-grandpa was my absolute favorite person on earth before my wife and kids came along. And he was always saying, you should come live with me. And I didn't want to do that because he was, you know, 80-ish years old. Right. And I'm like, you don't need a teenager living in your house at your age. I didn't think that would be fair. Uh, But my dad's mom 
I wanted to, that's where I wanted to live because every time I went there, I felt like I was home. I felt like Mm -hmm. this was where I needed to be. And she didn't do the thing, you know, she didn't automatically take my dad's side and try to turn me against my mom. She kept telling me, you should try to have a relationship with your mother. You should try to have a relationship with that family. And it was just hard um, to do because even though I don't really consider what she did abuse, it was neglect. Right. Uh, You know, growing up, she just watched a lot of the stuff happen because she didn't want to put herself in the way. Right. Uh, She continued after she left my father, she continuously put herself first thinking that she was doing it for us, but really it was what was making her happy Mm -hmm. at no matter what was happening to us. And it might sound like I'm kind of whining and being selfish, but you know, I'm a parent now and I think everything I do, I don't do it for myself. Right. I do it for my kids. You know, the jobs I've worked, I've worked some horrible jobs and I did it because that's what my family needed. Right. Uh, And, you know, I just never felt that from her, that she was doing things for us. She was, everything was for her and her own benefit. Um, but with my dad's mom, that's where I wanted to be. And neither one would let me live there. Neither one would give up custody. My dad wouldn't give custody to her. My mom wouldn't give custody to her. And that's why I was continuously forced to go back and forth. And like I said, I felt like I was spending the night places instead of living places. So and I think that's pretty well said, and people probably get a better visual of that, that you just never felt comfortable. You never right. felt maybe all the way loved, all the way appreciated, all the way cared for to the point where you could settle in and feel good, but you really wanted to be with your grandparents, and they would not mm-hmm. allow it. At what point, what age were you at this point when this was going back and forth? Uh, the back and forth then, I was eighth eighth and ninth grade. So now I'm 14 ish, 14, 15 ish, uh, when that's happening. Um, so what was going on? What happened next in your story at that point? So 14, 15, I'm going back and forth and that continued for a few years. And then it got, I got home from school one day and my mom said, your grandma called, you need to call her. And this is my dad's mom. And I called her and she told me that my dad had gone to the hospital and that he had had some tests done and, you know, things weren't, um, things weren't right. So, but no one knew exactly what was happening. And then finally, one day I'm, I'm over at his place visiting and he tells us that he had been diagnosed with leukemia. Oh no. And it was not one of those things I've been diagnosed. I only have X number to live. Mm -hmm. It was just, I have this and I'm going to start treatment. Um, and you know, that just felt like a ton of bricks at that point, because now I feel like, you know, being the older brother, trying to be as responsible as I can, I'm like, Mm -hmm. I can't live here anymore. You're sick. You're fighting this. You don't need to be raising someone. So that's when I move in back in with my mom Mm -hmm. and that's where I'm just, I'm there. I don't live with my dad anymore after that. I just see him and visit with him. Um, but um, like it, it's a ton of bricks. I'm trying to process it because now it's like, what's going to happen? Is this something that he did to himself from his past? Is this something that, mm-hmm. you know, and I become irrational. Is it something I did? And I start thinking like he's sick because of something I did. And it's completely 
foolish to think that because obviously I can't cause cancer right in somebody but my my brain is so messed up and my self esteem and my sense of self-worth is so low I start putting that on me and like I've done this somehow mm-hmm. um, and then he lived I, it was like about a year and then I was at school one day and I got called down to the principal's office, which really wasn't anything new. I just thought, okay, I'm going to get another suspension or something. Right. And uh, I get there and my dad or my dad, my stepdad and my mom are sitting in the office and the principal walks out and like, I'll leave you guys alone. And they tell me, and um, I just, I broke down that he had passed away. And um, oh, man, I'm was, so sorry to hear that, Dave. I, hey, you know, Everyone loses somebody, and um, doesn't mean doesn't mean it makes it easy though. Right, right. You know. Um. So when those words hit me that he had passed away, everything just went black. Like everything, all, all I could see was just a fog, and I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't comprehend anything. It was all of a sudden he's gone, and I started thinking about all the bad times and how it led to the good times and how I forgave him. And we had started to build a relationship Mm -hmm. and now all that is just being taken from me. And I got really selfish. You know, it's not fair. Why'd this have to happen? If it was going to happen to him, why didn't it happen when he was beating the hell out of us Mm -hmm. instead of now? Um, And I just, I remember walking back to my classroom to get my stuff. I walked in the room, just grabbed my bag and walked out. And by the end of the day, I mean, you went to Fairfield, you Mm -hmm. know that everything gets around everything. And by the end of the day, everybody knew that I was the kid whose dad died that day. Oh, And, you know, I'm getting phone calls. Mm -hmm. I I lived across the street from the school. People are coming knocking on my door, you know, checking on me. And I felt it was half sincere from most of them. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't get that sense of people checking on me coming from my mom. She just kind of left me to myself, not how are you doing? Mm -hmm. Not, um, you know, he's not suffering anymore. None of that just kind of let me be. And at that point was when I really needed someone the most. Right. I didn't have it. Um, because I couldn't, I couldn't rely on my younger brother and sister because they're too young. I couldn't rely on my grandmother because she just lost her son. Someone needs to be there for her. Right. Um, so I, I just felt totally alone and you know, I had friends, I had a girlfriend at the time and yeah, they, they called and they did their due diligence, but it's not the same as having someone who just wants to grab you and hold you and just let you let everything out. Right. And so you were really left alone at that point because now you only have one parent left. Right. You, know, you, you lost your dad at a very young age, and your mom is not there to comfort you. She's kind of just letting you be to deal with your own demons, your own feelings, your own emotions, everything running through your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to go back to your story just a little bit. Before your dad passed away, were, were you expecting that? Were you, were you, was, did you know that he only had a few days left? I mean, because it seemed like you no. were only hit by a shock for that news that day. When – when we were initially told, like I said, we weren't told there's nothing we could do. It's going to take this long. Right. It, got, it did get to a point though, where he was in the hospital and we knew at that point, like 
there, this, he's too far gone at this point. There's nothing else that can happen. Okay. And, you know, he had made the decision that he didn't want to be in the hospital any longer. He wanted to be home and let it happen there. So I knew it was coming. Okay. I had, I had time to brace for it, but you give someone a day or you give them a year, they're never going to be ready. Sure. You know, for that type of loss. Absolutely. So, and so in the days that you, in the days that were happening, we knew they were limited with your dad. Did you spend any extra time with them? Have any special talks with them? Um, just to have any kind of closure with them before he had passed away? I saw him a few times at the hospital. I did not see him at the house once he left the hospital um, because I didn't feel like I should be there because I didn't, I didn't want to be a burden. Right. Um, and that's how, I mean, Tim, that's how I looked at myself. I felt like I was always in everybody's way. Right. And I didn't want to feel that way. I just wanted him to be at peace and, you know, let it happen the way he wanted it to happen. But when he was in the hospital, we spoke a few times. But after he went home from the hospital, um, and I don't know exactly how many days it was after he left the hospital that he passed, but I didn't go talk to him or see him at the house in that time. Um, and do you have any? Do you have any regrets for not being able to go see him? I mean, you're already, like I said. Let me. This I don't want to say regrets. Like I'm trying to pin you down. Like aha, this is a bad moment right. for Dave. It's that. Let's just talk about your mindset for a minute here. Like you said, your mindset's really messed up from a young age till now. You felt like you're a burden all the time, so you weren't able to maybe see yourself as a place to go to visit him. And but you thought like I'm. Just, I'm just going to be a burden for him in these last mm -hmm. days. And but knowing that that you were in a bad mindset now, do you regret not having that time with them those last couple of days? I mean, I've, I've always regretted that, um, you know, not being there. You know, I, I always, I always held on to this anger that, mm -hmm. you know, if, if they knew it's going to happen now, you know, the doctor, whoever had come out to the house and looked at him, they're like, he's not going to make it through the day or through the night or whatever then why wasn't I told? Why wasn't my brother and sister told? Why didn't right. we get that phone call? Um, so we could be there. And, you know, that's just something that never happened. And for whatever reason, I don't know if that was his decision. I right. don't know if my stepmom made the decision not to tell us. I don't know if she told my mom and my mom made the decision not to tell us. I don't know. Okay. Um, but I... I've, I've held onto that anger off and on quite a bit because, you know, that's just something I think that family should be there for. Sure. And, you know, if my dad's about to die, at least give me a chance, mm -hmm. even if he dies before I can get there, at least give me a chance to try. Mm -hmm. um, and I just felt, I guess, cheated is the word. I don't like using that word, but I felt cheated that I didn't have that opportunity. Well, it's funny what a difference in 20 years would make as far as technology, because if you think about it now, you probably would have been texting with your dad, you know, right. we didn't have that technology available to us then. Right. It sounds like it was like the dark ages, but, um, like you may have been communicating by cell phone where, you know, before you didn't have that as an opportunity. So it makes me think about technology, how that would have played a part potentially in that communication of that happening. Well, I mean, even like you and I talking right now, you know, if I could have just had that opportunity where I could hear him and I could see him mm -hmm. um, and that just didn't exist yeah. short of picking up a phone or actually going to someone's house. Um, right. No, absolutely. So 
your father's now passed away. You know, you mm-hmm. didn't get a chance to say things you maybe wanted to at the end there because you weren't allotted that opportunity. Um, and now you're full time with your mom, you know, mm-hmm. and your, your dad who is becoming your friend and your role model now again and having a great relationship. And now we're with your mom who, you know, you said who really doesn't care for you, kind of neglect, neglects you from a day-to-day basis. What was your mindset like at this point? What was going on with you? To be honest, I couldn't tell you because every day was just a fog for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I just felt like I was existing and wasn't really doing much more than that. I just kind of shut down. Um, you know, I had friends that I didn't see as often. Um, my girlfriend at the time, you know, didn't talk to her as much. And it was just... Um, it was just my body was just there, but mentally mm-hmm. I wasn't, I, I just woke up, did what I had to do that day, went to bed and that's how I got through the days. Um, then things just got darker and darker for me and you know, it, it got to the point where I no longer wanted to exist. I just mm-hmm. wanted to go away and, um, you know, I, I had those thoughts and I acted on them and um, that's really the darkest point. Well, let me ask you a question. What got so point? I know you were in a fog and things were, mm-hmm. what got so bad in your mind where it switched and it got real bad real fast where you said, I don't want to exist anymore. Just when you, it was like groundhog's day in a sense where I just woke up and it was the same thing every day. Nothing ever changed. Um, and I would go to school and I would put on this happy and this brave face and I would try to hide what I was going through. And when I would see my friends or if I would see other members of my family, I would not let on, try to not let on mm. what I was going through. Uh, but it just got to the point where carrying that weight was too much and I just couldn't do it any longer. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't put on that fake face. I couldn't just wake up to exist, to go back to bed. Um, because with him gone, with me in a situation I don't want to be in and really not able to do anything about it because it would, I'm still a minor at that point. And for me to move in, move out of the house and move in where I wanted to be would entail my grandma having to get an attorney and having to sue for custody. And, you know, I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to put anyone through that. So I just existed. I I didn't even live. I just did what I had to do. And, um, yeah, things, things were, it just, I just got tired of it. Let me ask you a question. Do you think, I mean, compared to this day and age, 2018, and that was 20 plus years ago, you were going through that. Do you think that there were not a lot of resources available to you at that point where people were talking about depression, suicide awareness, things of that nature? I mean, back then, you know, I cannot, thinking back, I cannot think of anyone that I knew who had killed themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I had lost classmates through accidents and through illness and whatnot. Right. But I can't recall having lost a classmate, you know, by doing, you know, someone killing themselves. And the counselors at school, they were more 
kind of geared towards guiding you through school. Right. Weren't really there to help you through life, I felt. Mm-hmm. So even having someone to go to at school, you know, when I was there, didn't seem possible. Okay. Um, you know, nowadays in 2018, we have all this social media. We have these PSAs. Um, was it Logic put out a song um, yeah. last year? You know, people are bringing it to the forefront. And had that existed 20 plus years ago, had that mentality, had that consciousness been there, then maybe, you know, I would have felt differently. Right. Than how I did. Right. But you know what? And I'm, I think our circumstances, the whole reason this podcast exists is because of things that people have gone through, you know, and um, the lessons and the strength that have been gained through those things that we've gone through to share this stuff today, to be able to offer hope and encouragement to people. But the reason I bring that up is about awareness. You know, even back then, I don't think I agree with you. There wasn't much awareness going on. You really didn't hear about it a lot. There may have been the suicide hotline, maybe existed back then. I have no idea. Um, but you really, there wasn't much talk about it. And the reason I wanted to bring that up right now before we go further in your story is awareness is huge for mental health. You know, mm-hmm. and I've talked about it many times on the podcast. I will continue to talk about it, especially in the news lo- lately with celebrities who have killed themselves. And um, people were like, I had no idea. It's just that huge amount of shame that people have, you know. And there's all these walks and things going on right now. I think this, the Out of the Darkness walk is for suicide awareness. There's yeah. things going on. And I just want this to come out of the darkness. I want people to be able to embrace it as any other kind of disease. And, um, Feel like you're not alone in this. Feel like you have a voice, even if it's not your own, if you can't find your own at this point, that there is hope, 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 hope for you. And um, same thing if you're a family member, somebody's going through it, talk to them. Don't leave them alone, you know, like stuff that Dave was going through on his end. So I just want to jump in there. Go ahead. Yeah, I heard something a couple weeks ago, and it really kind of clicked with me. Everyone has that person in their life who just seems sad. You know, we all know someone Mm -hmm. who's depressed. Uh, But when you hear of the Chester Bennington's and the Chris Cornell's, these celebrities who's, you know, Robin Williams, these celebrities whose suicide make huge news, and everyone says, oh, they always seem so happy. They always seem so... It's not the sad person that you should be checking on and be worried about all the time. You need to find that happy person Mm -hmm. to make sure, are you really this happy? Right. And, you know, checking with all your friends and, you know, myself, I'm guilty. I don't check with all my friends as much as I should about it. You know, I try not to think that my friends are in that state, Right. but you just never know who is, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, because having heard your story, I knew you through work. I never would have thought it about you. Um, Having heard of other people and people are like, you never would have assumed they would be someone who would do that. And there might be people who would have thought that I never would have been someone to have attempted that. Um, but no one was checking on me. And like you were saying, you know, everyone needs to be more aware of what's happening with their people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't take but a minute to pick up a phone or send a message to say, how, how are things going? What's going on? And just talk with somebody. No, especially in this day and age, you can easily get a hold of people, text them, 
Facebook right. message them, call them, whatever. But I think that was a very good point. Like, don't worry about the sad person. Check on that person who seems like they're constantly happy all the time. Maybe they're not that happy. Um, right. I, I think that's a really good point. All right. I know we've deviated from your story a little bit, but I just want yes. to kind of talk about that awareness about not really being present back then and maybe mm-hmm. a little bit more today. So you said you got to a real dark point. You had a point where you just didn't yeah. feel like you wanted to exist anymore. And um, so what happened? So on two separate occasions, I had planned out, this is it. I'm just, I'm going to end it. And the first time I was, I had the place, I had the way, I had the when, you know, I knew exactly what I was going to do. And when it came to that time and I decided this is it, I backed out. Like I couldn't make myself do it. And I said, wow, you know, I need to man up here. Um, and I lit, you know, went a few weeks just completely down on myself because I couldn't fulfill this plan. I couldn't go through with what I said I was going to do. Um, and then a few weeks later, mm-hmm. I'm at my great-grandparents, and I'm staying there for, I think I stayed there for like two days. And... They were very big, you know, if church is in session, they were there. And one night they went to church and my great grandpa had a lot of guns and I said, this is it. I'm just going to do it now. Get it over with. Not even thinking of the fact that this man who I earlier said was my favorite person on earth is going to come home and find this. Um, not thinking you know, what that's going to do to somebody, just being selfish and saying, I just need to end this. And I just went to his room. I just grabbed the first gun I saw mm-hmm. and, you know, put it under my chin and pulled the trigger and nothing happened. It just clicked. Wow. And I looked at it and it was a revolver. I saw that it was loaded. I saw the shells in the uh, drum or whatever it is and did it again, put it under my chin, pulled the trigger and it just clicked. I opened it up and I saw that they were all spent shells Oh he had, wow! He had fired them all and had never taken the shells out. Um, so, yeah, I could have pulled out on that all day, and nothing was going to happen. And it was weird because I felt so relieved, mm-hmm. but I also felt so, you know, worthless. I felt like, wow, I can't even do this right. You know, mm-hmm. I just. I, you know, I chickened out a couple weeks ago on can't, I screwed this up today and I just got really, really low about it. But then the more, as days went on, the more I thought about it, I was like, you know, had those not been just casings, had there actually been a bullet in there, right? you know, what I did today, I wouldn't have been there to do, you know, I went to the ball game tonight. I had a great time. I wouldn't have been able to do that. So that sense of worthlessness and stupidity and whatever that started to leave and became more of a relief that it didn't happen. And we fast forward to today and everything I have today right. uh, couldn't have happened. My three kids never would have come into existence. Right. And, you know, I'm thankful that I was so inept at that, yeah. at that time. So I'm also thankful. You're a good friend. I've known you for a long time. You're a great guy. And I'm happy that you weren't able to go through with that. Um, when that happened, did you tell anybody? 
No. Did that happen? No. I, I mean, when I spoke to you the other night, Tim, I can tell you in complete honesty, you were the first person I've ever told that to. Oh, like I didn't even tell my wife until after you and I hung up the phone because I wanted her to hear it from me and not when she listens to this. Uh, good, good idea, Dave. (laughs) I, uh, smart, smart idea. I kept that to myself and, uh, just, it's not something I put out there to advertise. I don't put it out there. You know, I don't, you know, in my profession now I'm a teacher and Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't just share that thinking that, Oh, now I want to tell everybody because you tell somebody who might be going through something and they're like, Oh, well, Mr. Bab tried it. So, right. And I think on the flip side though, I, I, I think it gives people an idea and I'm, I'm, very honored that you shared that detail. That's a very personal, intimate detail. So, and it's, frankly, it's something hard to hold on to. You carry that with you, you know? Right. There's a lot of shame associated with that and the failure, like you said, you had attached to that as well. But, I mean, anybody could have the idea to try that, you know, by hearing something on the news or whatever. But I think by you, I'm not saying that you should go tell us in front of your classroom every day, but mm-hmm. I think by people hearing that and they see, like, look at Mr. Bab now. You know, he's, he's mm-hmm. married, he's got kids, he's got a job, he's happy. And, um, you know, he, he did something that he was ashamed of and thank God it didn't work, but he's here to be able to share his story and experience. So I don't have to go through that. So right. there, there's so much power. I'm speaking to you and anybody listening in your story. Your story is so, so important. And, um, if you're listening and you have a story and you've been ashamed and you've been carrying something for a long time. Share it. it. Doesn't have to be on this podcast, but talk to somebody about your story. It can really help somebody. It can really, really help somebody. So thanks for sharing that um, mm-hmm. very intimate detail. So I guess going back to your story is that you didn't tell anybody. You tried these things, and I guess you didn't have any support from there either. Right. I I was ashamed. I I'm not going to tell you know my mom because I can't really count on her reacting. Um, I can't tell my friends because you are they just going to kind of joke it off because you're teenagers, you're at an age where you don't take a lot of things seriously. Right. Um, and I hadn't actually gone to anybody professionally for help. So I just kind of like, you know, I'm just going to keep this to myself. And that's what I did. Um, and even later when I was seeking help, you know, we fast forward a little bit when I was seeking help and I was talking to a therapist, I never told them that part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I told them I had thoughts of it. I told them, you know, everything else I had told you to that point, but I never had told anyone, but I actually attempted it. Right. Well, I, I think it's very hard to say. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say. I mean, I've heard you in this podcast a couple of times instead of saying I was going to kill myself, you're saying words like end it or shut things down or whatever. It, I think it's, right. I know for me when I recorded the podcast and anyone who's heard my story, the podcast that you heard, that was my third time through. I had recorded two other ones. I couldn't even get myself to say it in that podcast that I was going to kill myself. I couldn't say it. I was to say it ended. I was going to, you know, check out early, all these different things because it makes it so much more real. Right. You know, and you know, the reality is, is I was going to do those things. I was going to try to kill myself. And, um, I think it's just harder to say when you, it makes it very, very real. And Mm -hmm. I think probably if I was you at that age, I would probably have been scared to tell my parents too, because you probably think, okay, now I'm going to get in trouble or 
now this is going to happen or they're going to send me to a you know a crazy hospital or all these different things probably went through your mind did that happen with you yeah i mean it was not so much me being afraid of getting in trouble it was the fact that if i say something and then there's no reaction i was more afraid of no reaction than an overreaction and if i say this mm and no one does anything or says anything, that's just going to make me feel even worse about myself. It's going to make me feel even more unloved. It's going to make me feel even more unwanted. And I, I knew at that point that if that happens, if there is another time, it's going to be successful. And, you know, that relief that I felt of failing, um, I wanted to hold on to that feeling. I wanted to feel that relief. I wanted every day to be a... I did this today. This was fun. I'm glad I'm here to do it. So that's why I didn't really want to say anything. Okay. I, I think it's very uh, crazy to think that you were more scared of no reaction instead of yeah. uh, overreaction. Right. Which kind of really showed your relationship with your mom and uh, how you felt in that. So fast forwarding a little bit in your story, you know, you're in high school, you're dealing with this. How does, what was your mindset like as you started to get older and things got a little bit tougher or, you know, life starts to be more responsibility comes your way? Well, finally, the day comes, I turn 18. And I'm at, at that point, I'm like, you know what? I don't have to live with my mother anymore. I don't have to live with my stepfather anymore. I can just go. And I woke up the day after my 18th birthday. It was October 1st. Uh, it would have been 19... 95 and I threw as much crap as I could into like a heavy duty garbage bag as many clothes as I could whatever I needed and just threw it over my shoulder and said I'm leaving and told them I walked out the door and my grandmother lived maybe a mile away mm -hmm. and I just took that bag over my shoulder and just lugged it that mile to their house and as soon as I showed up I was like, you know, can I stay here? And without hesitation, she said yes and took me in and had a place for me to sleep. And for the first time in years, when I stepped in that door and she said I could stay there, that's when I felt this is my home. Mm -hmm. This is where I live. Mm -hmm. This is not where I'm staying. This is where I'm going to be. And when that happened, a lot started to change within me. Mm -hmm. I was still sad. I was still dealing with depression, even though I hadn't spoken to someone who officially diagnosed me with it. I would still have these panic attacks at times, but I knew I'm somewhere where I'm wanted. I'm somewhere where if I say something, it's going to be taken seriously. If I ask for help, I'm going to get the help. Mm -hmm. um, and moving in with my grandmother is absolutely 100% what changed my life. And I will forever be thankful to her and my grandfather for letting me stay there, to my uncle who was still living there at the time, who's only a couple years older than I am, mm -hmm. uh, because living there, he turned more into a big brother. Because um, now I have someone who's kind of close to my age who mm. I can talk to. Sure. And um, I didn't have that before because I'm the oldest. I didn't have someone who I felt I could turn to. Um, so that is completely what turned my life around at that point. So as you got older, you talked about um, you did seek some help. What was that mm -hmm. like for you? When was that in your life? 
I didn't actually speak to a therapist until, I mean, my wife and I were married. So, I mean, it was after 2002. Um, I forget exactly when, but speaking to somebody and having, you know, someone who's trained and someone who can help someone, their job is to help, right. uh, was really kind of freeing because I started to understand more of why I did the things I did mm -hmm. and why I felt the things I felt. And prior, I didn't understand it. They were just there. Why did I do this? I don't know. Why do I think this? I don't know. Mm -hmm. But then having someone say, well, this is why, you know, your experiences have led you to this and this is what's happening in your brain. This is what's happening. Why you get those panic attacks out of nowhere. Why you feel like, you know, the most painful thing that you can do in life is get out of bed. Uh, mm -hmm. Because when I'm, when I'm in one of my valleys, you know, depression is all peaks and valleys. Sure. When I'm in one of my valleys. The most physically painful thing in my life is to just get out of bed. Right. And, you know, our body isn't built to intentionally allow us to inflict pain on ourselves. So you just stay in bed all day. Um, but I, having someone say, this is why, um, it really did help. And mm -hmm. I start to understand myself more and that self awareness, um, has really turned my life completely around. You know, I still deal with anxiety. I still get panic attacks. I still deal with depression. It's going to be something I deal with for the rest of my life, but I know how to handle it now. Right. I think it's uh, important that you said that you did get help. You went to a therapist. Um, I think a lot of people think, okay, I need help. I need help, but they don't even really know what that looks like. It seems mm -hmm. like a huge mountain to climb to get to that peak. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's never going to be something you're going to attain. You're never going to conquer depression fully. You know, if you, I mean, you may have, some may be able to have maybe more mild depression and things like that. But if you are diagnosed with a full-blown depression or bipolar or whatever, it's going to be something like Dave said. You're going to deal with it your whole life. And um, it's really just these therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists, they're really there to equip you, give you tools, you know, because it's not to say that you're never going to go through it again. But when you do, this is how you can react a little bit differently. Give you the tools, equip mm -hmm. you, and it makes you feel a little bit more normal that you are not alone. Like you said, you, she told you you were experiencing this because of this. You were feeling this because of this. And it really kind of takes away some of the shame, lets you come out of the darkness a little bit, and makes you feel a little bit more normal and equip you with better tools on how to get through those uh, valleys, as you said. Yeah. So, um, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, and – you know, getting, going and seeing a therapist, you know, that, that was my help. And, you know, I'm on medication and, you know, that is what's helped me. Um, it's not, you know, no two books on depression are the same. You know, your story isn't the same as mine. Your depression right. isn't the same as mine. And that help that for me might not be what can help someone else. Right. You know, for someone else, maybe it's not speaking to a therapist and getting medicine, but maybe it's, you know, maybe it is completely changing your life around, you know, finding a passion and getting into it. And then as you get into that passion, you know, when I finally stopped, said, no, I'm not going to work in restaurants anymore. I went to school and I got my degree. My first day student teaching, I felt like so fulfilled and, you know, being in this profession, which I dreamed of and never thought I would get to, but because my wife supported me so much and because I wanted to set a better example for my kids, mm -hmm. I got it. You know, I fought for it and I got it. And, um, you know, finding a passion and for me, teaching is my passion. You know, my wife and my kids are my passion and mm -hmm. 
that's just a daily, daily therapy for me. Right. Well, I think that I think that's amazing. First of all, congratulations on getting your teaching degree and getting into school. That that what an accomplishment that is. So congratulations on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, I think it's important that you like you said, nobody's story is the same. You know, depression's different, circumstances are different, things that can help you are different. Um, but I think it's just one thing that you could do is just finding something worth living for. Mm-hmm. Um, and in those times where it's so dark, you could have some of the most amazing things right in front of you. You know, maybe David, his story didn't really have that with, you know, his dad had passed away and his mom really wasn't there for support. But some people could be living in the best possible situation, have the most loving people around them. But the depression, it, it's so dark, you can't see it. And um, until you can get that help and maybe find something worth living for, that can be really your next step in trying to get out a little bit, get out of those valleys, as David said, and um, just to get to that next step. So, I mean, you're doing great now, Dave. And Mm -hmm. what I ask everybody at the end of every podcast, you know, is what kind of bit of hope and encouragement could you offer to anybody who's going through something like you did right now? I mean, like I just said, you know, find that thing that you are passionate about and try to make that as much of the center of your life as possible. You know, I, I didn't think that I would find someone who would unconditionally love me. And I found a woman who has loved me beyond unconditionally. And, you know, we've been together here in a couple of weeks. It's going to be what, 16 years. And, you know, it's that, that really kind of helped ground me. And then with my kids came along and with my profession, I just, I have this beautiful thing that I want to hold on to that I'm so passionate about. And I don't want to do anything to ruin that. Um, we still make mistakes along the way. Nobody's perfect, but you know, it's finding the people who will continue to love you despite your mistakes, Mm -hmm. finding the things that will still be there for you Mm -hmm. despite your mistakes. And, you know, talk to someone, um, even if it's as little as going out with a buddy and having a beer or going out with a girlfriend and having a glass of wine or whatever, just talk to someone. Right. Because if you keep it inside, it just gets darker and darker and that weight gets heavier and heavier. And even it's, you know, even letting the pressure out just a little bit can make a world of difference. Yeah. I think that's really well said and I appreciate you sharing that. And what he said lastly is just talk to somebody, ask for a little bit of help. I know it's very hard to ask when you're in that point and, um, but people are there to help you, to keep you equipped, to uh, get you to see those passions that Dave talked about to get you to your next step and making you feel good again as best as possible. So Dave, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. I mean, sharing a lot of those intimate details that you haven't shared with anybody before. I know it's going to be very helpful for people. If people want to connect with you and maybe hear a little bit more about your story or just ask you questions, how can they do that? I mean, I'm on Facebook. Um, I mean, I don't have any official page. I haven't gone the, you know, entrepreneur route and started up a foundation or anything. <laughs> you don't have a fan page yet? <laughs> no, no, I don't. I don't have a fan page I'll yet. I'll start one today when we get off here. But, uh, but yeah, they can reach out to me on Facebook. Um, you know, and I'm, I, I've always told my students, I'm an open book. You can ask me just about anything and I'm willing to share quite a lot of myself. Um, but also, if I may plug something that is not completely related to me, sure. um, there's a project called the Semicolon Project, mm-hmm. which I found out about a few years ago and got my semicolon tattoo, just as kind of a daily reminder. But for those who don't know, 
the, the meaning behind the semicolon project. When you're writing, you come to the end of the sentence, you can put a period and then that period signifies that's the end, it's over. Or you can continue the thought and you don't want to use a comma, but you use a semicolon. It's continuation of the same thought. And if you look at your life and the sense of that sentence, do you want to put a period on it and it be over? Or do you want to stop, take a breath, and continue that thought? So the semicolon project is out there. Um, look into it. I've seen a lot of people with their tattoos. And you know, the more I read about it, the more I thought about it. I was like, you know, that's exactly what I needed. Yeah. And, um, I would say that that's out there. Um, and if you are feeling, if you're feeling suicidal, call the number, get help. Um, because the world without you is a much lesser place than the world with you, regardless of what you think. I think you said it beautifully. And I love the semicolon thing. It sounds just like the podcast, you know, the story of your life is unwritten. That's the whole point. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's not over. There's so much more to live and do. So, Dave, again, thank you so much for being on the show today. We really appreciate your time and appreciate your sharing all these details to help other people. Thank you for having me, Tim. I appreciate the time also and uh, look forward to hearing more of your friends' stories as they come out. All right. Thanks so much, Dave. Thank you. Well, I couldn't be more thankful for having Dave come on the show today and share his story. And what a powerful story that was. I mean, just the fact that he was in those really dark places, the places where he just didn't feel like he was welcome anywhere, not even on this earth, where he grabbed that gun and had that moment and pulled that trigger. And when I heard him tell that part in the story, I was just blown away. I remember just mouth dropping, thinking what it must have been like in that moment to really grab that gun and do that and to not have anything happen and to do it again, not have anything happen. And I'm so glad that nothing did happen because Dave is a friend of mine. He is a great guy. And here he is being vulnerable, being strong, and being courageous to share his story today, to offer you guys hope and to see that it's not worth it. Like he said, you know, your life is better lived on this planet for other people. Just to think that you, you don't matter and your life is worthless is completely wrong. People need you. And I appreciate him saying that and sharing that part of his story with us. Um, like I said, it was really powerful and dark, but I'm very proud of him for doing that. And I know it's going to help all of you guys listening, maybe someone specifically today who needs to hear that message. Let it resonate with you and know that, that Dave's still here, and we want you to be here as well. When Dave talked about growing up and um, moving from place to place and feeling the rejection, the abuse, and everything that went on early on, and you know, he talked about, about feeling broken. And um, when he talked about that, it was something that resonated with me later on. And you know, it reminded me of a, uh, a famous quote. It is, in your broken places where you are most often used by God. And how much truth is there to that? That Dave, not knowing many years ago, going through all the pain and the suffering and the abuse and the wanting to kill himself and leave this world in that broken, broken place, that years later, he's having the strength and the courage and the vulnerability to come on here and share his stories. And now all those broken places before and the healing that's went on and him sharing that story is going to help somebody else. So never feel like broken can't get you anywhere. And something I want you to remember, broken is not worthless. And I'll say it again, broken is not worthless. We are all broken. 
no matter where you are at in your life, you have been through something, you're going through something, you will go through something. Well, it's going to break you a little bit on the inside, mentally, physically, emotionally, but to know that you are not worthless because of those broken places, that God has a plan for you to use you right now or in the future. So the things that you go through are just building your strength, are building your story, are building you to a place where you can help other people. And so remember, if you're broken right now and you're feeling down, you are not worthless at all. You have value. You mean a lot. And we want you to be here to share your story. And as we wrap up today, I wanted to also touch on something that Dave talked about, and that is the project semicolon. He talked about, you know, that a period is the end of the story, but the semicolon continues your story. And if you go to their website, which is projectsemicolon.com, there is nothing that could align better with our show than this uh, project. And I want you guys to check it out. I mean, if you go to their website, it says Project Semicolon. Your story is not over, hence unwritten, that your life matters. It's not just a semicolon. It's hope. It's inspiration. It's who we are is what they talk about. And they give you different ways to participate in Project Semicolon and donating. And they say Project Semicolon has helped more than 5.2 million people since 2013. And that's such an amazing impact. Even if it was a one person since 2013, it would make a difference. But that fact that they have helped millions of people is great. And they have different ways for you to come on here and donate your time, your gift, and it really helps people. But they also have all kinds of resources on here. They have stuff for teens. They have stuff on here for mental health information to talk about if you're hearing voices or you feel suicidal, things like that, and opportunities for people to come share their story because they get it. They get that your story is important, that matters. So take some time. It takes you a couple seconds. Go on the project, semicolon.com. Take a look at it. And like I said, I couldn't talk about anything better that aligns with our message and what we're trying to do with this podcast, that your story is not over. Guys, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, like always, I want to hear from you. So check me out at Tim at unwrittenlifepodcast.com. You can leave your stories, you can leave questions, anything there to communicate and to keep in touch. Also, it is our Facebook group, Unwritten Life Podcast, where we have the conversation going there all the time, and Unwritten Life Podcast on Instagram as well. All different ways for you to be part of our community. Like I said last week, you guys are the heartbeat of the community, and it wouldn't be without you guys that this thing would be a success. And I want that to continue to grow and grow and grow so more people have that chance to feel that hope to feel that inspiration, and to know that they matter. So we have come to the end of yet another episode, but this is not the end of your journey at all. Remember so much, guys, that you matter, that you can make a difference, and that your story is still unwritten.